Hi, welcome to the Dreamcatchers. We are sisters and business partners, Marissa Klein K and Jamie Klein Stozer. We know a little something about dreaming big. In our day jobs, we run the fashion and media division of our family staffing firm in New York City, Choice Associates. We have built a brand around helping others and good energy. Known in our personal and professional worlds as lightworkers, igniters, and most of all believers, Jamie and I are not only dreamers, but we are doers, and we hope our energy is contagious. On this podcast, we will be chatting to each other and to some of our favorite dream catchers, the people who inspire us not only about career, but about making magic wherever they go. On What's Your Story, we will focus on real people with killer jobs and talk about how they got where they are today. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe now and follow us on social media at Dreamcatchers23 for updates and episodes. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, good evening to our guests. Good afternoon to our East Coast guests. I am Jamie Stozer, one half of the Dreamcatcher. So excited to be back here with one of my oldest and dearest friends who I reconnected with, although already connected because of, drumroll, Clubhouse, which I am finally embracing. I think I'm a little delayed. I'm not that delayed. I still have no. a lot of friends that have absolutely no idea how to use it. So welcome to Katie. We're going to have Katie introduce herself in just a second. Just wanted to welcome everyone here. We are live on Clubhouse. We are live on Facebook. We are recording for our podcast. We are all over the place today and super excited about it. Um, Just to kind of back up just a moment, I just joined Clubhouse. For those of you that don't know anything about it, it's awesome. If you're looking for an invite and you really want to get on it, it is something you need to be invited to. Please reach out. I have a few invites that I can maybe think about giving away. Um, And essentially what it is, is like, I read an article today about it. Ming, I'm sure would have some really interesting thoughts on this, but it's basically a podcast that never ends, which is exactly what Marissa and I, it's like our dream, right? To just talk all day, every day and have people listening to us. Um, It's overwhelming and I can't figure it out. But what happened was I went to download it. And the first person I saw that I knew was Katie and she's a, Good friend of mine. I'm like writing to her on Clubhouse. I'm like, what is this? How do I do this? And I just like heard her voice, like she was talking to her husband. And I was like, I'm like sitting on the couch. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like eavesdropping on Katie's life. Like, what am I doing? I had no idea what was happening. So P.S. she writes to me and she's texting me. She's like, try again. I'm like trying to get into her room. I have no idea what's happening. So we end up having a private room, which is not the point. And we fully talked on Clubhouse about getting back to on Clubhouse to talk again. Because she told me that she had just finished a room about entrepreneurship with her colleagues at Salesforce. And I was like, that's my podcast theme. Like, let's chat. And so P.S. to this, because of this, we, you know, reconnected about professional things. And here we are today. And I'm so happy to have her. And so if anybody's on Clubhouse and wants to just come check us out over there, um, feel free to let, you know, to come on over to our room. I think it's pretty cool that we're in there as well. So, Marissa, do you have anything you wanted to add to that? And we'll have Katie introduce herself. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I'm live from we're live from six different places except Manhattan. I'm in my favorite spot that everyone's starting to get used to seeing me. And then sometimes I just go a little bit like this and then a little bit like this. Um, so live from <laughs> the home office. Um, but in the um, as I keep calling it, all the different Hunger Games atmospheres, we're in the, all the different worlds. Um, I am happy to see you, Katie. I haven't seen you in years. Uh, I know. They're treating you kindly. And I am inspired 
for our guests to kind of hear your story. I think one of the things that um, Jamie mentioned this, but what Jamie and I geek out about the most is learning about people's career journey, um, mm-hmm. which really just goes to show you how incredibly exciting we are. Um, and this is not even because of COVID. I get really like, excited about it too. Yeah, like this is who we were like prior. You know, it's like how you get to where you're going. And it's funny, we joke like, is there anything off topic that we shouldn't say? When like the truth is, is we're not here to discuss Katie's big gig at Salesforce. We're here to discuss how Katie she got there yeah. and how she got to Salesforce. So if you want to read about like top secret documents in the industry, you're in the wrong spot. Yeah, this um, is not this is not your so spot. we're we're more on the human side. And you know, I think after putting people to work for 16 years and trying to figure out open positions and how to put good people into those positions, we got exceptionally proficient at speaking to, engaging with, um, inspiring and professional hugging, so to speak, anybody that was on a journey working for traditional corporate. Um, And I always believed that traditional corporate and employees were unsung heroes that we don't talk about, you know, how incredible a mentor could be or, you know, your day-to-day grind instead what's celebrated in social media and in press and in movies and and podcasts or entrepreneurs Um, and actors and actresses and singers and songwriters and people that are doing things that are just about themselves usually um, and not necessarily the the rest of us soldiers in the world um, that are making magic in small ways at a time. This year, fortunately, I think nurses and teachers finally had a moment that they certainly deserve. Um, And I'm not saying that for the rest of us, we deserve our Academy Award for um, whatever it is that we do. but the Dreamcatchers tries to use their voice and their platform to showcase and spread light about people like you, Katie, because I am certain that there are plenty people, plenty of people on this earth that think of Katie Silver's fondly and hopefully only fondly um, <laughs> about how she has come in contact with them in their professional career. Because at the end of the day, Work is a predominant chunk of our life. Yeah. So, you know, without much further ado, who are you? And what are you doing on 75 <laughs> platforms? I love it. And and by the way, yes. And, you know, just to interject for just a moment, I think that, that one of the things to, to reiterate there is that, you know, there might be industry awards. There might be, you know, things industry specific, but it's so hard to find platforms to celebrate, you know, as we call them, like the every woman, it doesn't have to be a woman, but like the every man, the person that's just out there doing something amazing and doing really, really well. And that's not getting celebrated to the rest of the world that might find that super inspiring as far as a career path. So without further ado, as Marissa said, um, Katie, go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are, where you are, because I think that's interesting to people um, and what you do. 
I am Katie Silvers. I am a director at Salesforce working on design and incubation. Um, I'm an internal facing team. So I'm supporting our sales team and our solution engineers specifically. So our technical sales team. Um, I am in West Yorkshire in England. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the UK or just think London is everything, um, I'm about three hours by train north. Um, it's really beautiful up here. Lots of, you know, beautiful walks you can go on. Lots of great scenery. Um, it's very far from London. Everyone here talks like Jon Snow. So it's very hard <laughs> to understand people. That is the accent. That is the Yorkshire accent. So. Okay. Are you going to come home with that, Katie? Um, not yet. You're going to lose your Long Island accent? Never. I actually said that when I moved here, I was going to double down on Long Island because I'd kind of let that go. But I feel like I really need to like my coffee, like that needs to really be accentuated. Needs to stick, needs to stick. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for being here. I talked about this a little bit off air, but I'll say it on air. Um, Katie and I were fortunate enough to meet um, in Israel on a trip that was my second time in Israel in two years, which I was so fortunate to be able to go twice. Um, and we met, it was 2008 in the summer of 2008. And, um, we were, Dave and I both went on the trip, my husband and I, and just as a quick sidebar, we both went on this trip and it was kind of like a trip that was like designed for you to meet a mate. It wasn't necessarily like publicized that way, but it was like, you know, are you single? Like on the interview, it was like, are you single? Like, and we didn't think we'd get on the trip because we were in a relationship and at first we were like should we lie on the interview like and we're like we're not gonna lie like this these are there's like rabbis who are interviewing you I'm like I'm gonna lie to the rabbi I'm just gonna like tell him that I have a boyfriend you know and meanwhile they like to say still to this day that it was them that convinced him to to um to uh propose when we got home but that wasn't true um but long story long we get to this trip and our we were like everyone's favorite because like Dave wasn't like competition with the boys and I wasn't competition with the girls and we were just like friends with everyone but we literally made like one best friend and that was Katie and we called ourselves the tricycle for the 10 days that we were there because she was like the best third wheel ever she was literally Dave's favorite and also my favorite um so we just had this love affair in Israel and you have an experience with someone as I'm sure you guys can all relate even if it's short and you just you make like an impact on that person's life, like forever, like imprinted on me forever, even if I don't get to see or speak to her as much as I'd like. So Katie, feeling so is so mutual. I just need to interject. It is so mutual. I love you. Um, okay. So what our favorite first question, Katie, before I start crying about how much I love you is literally our, literally our favorite question that we ask in every interview. And it's so indicative of kind of where you land. And I think it's so interesting because you've had such an interesting um, path and pivoted a few times, which we'll, we'll get to is what is your earliest memory of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Because I'm guessing it likely wasn't living in like the UK countryside working for like a multi-billion dollar, you know, organization. Um, but I'd love to hear what your earliest memory of your, you know, what you wanted to be. And then we always like to kind of correlate to that to how you, you know, where you landed. Uh, so I wanted to be a few things all at once, um, a veterinarian, mm -hmm. a ballet dancer and first woman president. And all of those things were like, I'm going to just do all of them at the same time. And I was pretty certain that that was going to happen. Okay. So ballet dancer, 
a doctor, a pet doctor and a leader. And what's so no, the first female president, let's right. be fair. But I'm like just coming it down for like a moment to kind of show you that, you know, you like to help. Obviously, at a young age, you were creative. You like to help people and you wanted to be a leader. So do you do those three things now, Katie? Are you a leader? Do you help people? Are you creative? So it's actually really funny that I could probably do more of the helping people, but the creative side, which I never thought I was, um, and the leadership side are both things that I do. And I never would have correlated those three things with what I do now, but I love that you've uh, found a way to do that. <laughs> well done. There you go. That's Welcome to the dream catchers, Katie. Um, so that's always our favorite first question. Cause I think often we'll talk to people in their careers at every stage. And one of our favorite questions is like really digging and, and not to say we're we're not like coaches. We're, we're not, you know, licensed life coaches. We're not psychiatrists. But what we end up doing with people is really kind of challenging them to think about what it, when they're struggling, especially because if you can imagine a lot of people come to us when they're not happy. So really is what did you want to be like and who are you and your group of friends? Like, who are you? What are your skills? So that's really where that question comes into play. So tell us then. Obviously, those three things were your first earliest memory as you started in school. And tell us, give us a little rundown of your path and how you landed at school and what you started to study and a little bit of your internships, those first formative years. But actually, first, what was your first real job? Did you work in any of those areas as a job? Uh, Well, real job, meaning as an adult or paying job as a kid, A paying job as a kid. What was your first paying gig? My first paying gig is hysterical. I was a carny. I worked at a carnival. Oh my um, gosh, stop. Yeah. I love that. So a good friend of mine um, in middle school, her dad and his brother were part owners in a carnival business that kind of traveled around Long Island and did all the big festivals in the summer. And I, and all of my friends, my age, so there was like a ton of us, like 14 year olds, 15 year olds, like right when you get working papers, right? And we all would get picked up right after school and we'd go and help set up these carnivals. And then we'd come home really late at night, like 10, 11 o'clock as like a 14 year old. And uh, we would run the games. So we'd be on the microphone. We'd be calling people over. We'd be playing that. I was so good at those like wire and basketball games and all of that as a kid, because that's what I did for summers all throughout like my young adulthood. It was super fun. Oh my God. I love that. That's for, it's a really fun fact, actually. I, I, we've done a lot, a lot of interviews. No one has ever said that. Yeah, um, people are like, I, I worked as a babysitter. Although I will say last week, we had a really awesome interview with a guy named Rob Smith from the Fluid Project. Highly recommend you check him out. Um, he told us that he cleaned up after the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like, yes. it was like local. That was his which first is job. Cool thing if you think about it, like as a young man, like, you know, interested in the arts and creative and like being able to do that and like meet the actors and actresses after and like clean it up and all that is super cool. I love the, that. The answer. carnival vibe that car like the cleaning up like that, like, like the working at the arcade gives me like a really strong, um, karate kid reference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and I don't know, I mean, listen, this just goes to show you like my pop culture, like what we watch in our house, but we, Definitely have gone through a few of those seasons. Um, mm-hmm. Did you? Did that make its way to you? And in, in 
I, in I haven't watched the Cobra Kai is what we're talking yeah. about. I haven't yeah. watched it yet, but it is, I mean, we do get Netflix, so it is here. So, oh, you do get Netflix there. Um, I would say, <laughs> LOL. I, I would say that Cobra Kai would bring you back some um, nostalgia. As, it's on the list, so we might have to bump it up a bit. Yeah. I mean, obviously like Stranger Things too, but like, you know, Cobra Kai is on the list. there's a little more reference to the, the carnival element. Um, okay. So we worked in a carnival. And you led the games, which, by the way, is not easy if you really think about it. You're engaging an audience. By the um, way, fun fact, we are we are known in this area, which is, by the way, not to say we didn't have a lot of carnivals growing up in North Jersey, but like where we are, like the, the concept of like the fireman's fair, which is like a really big deal down here. Like every fire department, that's how they raise their money. Yeah. All of our fire departments are volunteer. It's like a really big deal here. And the Fairhaven Fireman's Fair is like, I'll never forget when we first moved here. I moved here August 16th of, of 2016 or whatever it was like that week. And I remember everyone's like, oh my God, you're just in time for the fair. And I'm like, what, where am I? And what year am I in? And it was like, you have no idea what you're in for. And we can walk there and this whole thing. And it's like, you go every night and your kids have a million tickets. And it's a huge part of our culture, which thankfully hopefully we'll be back this year. It got canceled last year for the first time, like ever in Fairhaven's history. Um, but I, I really, re- it really resonates what you're talking about, like working these games because so many of the high school kids here, that's what they do in the summer is they work the games. And Sam, my oldest is so excited to be like one day being able to like work the game. So like, this is like a conversation in our house. I'm like, you could do that. That's like a real job in this town. Um, okay. So you first were Carney. Then you went off to school upstate and tell us a little bit about then your journey as to how you got, you know, closer to law and like when you started to study and what your internships were and, you know, how you started to really figure out what you wanted to do. Yeah. So I, I mean, while I was in high school, I, I had won a debating competition as part of a team. And so that got me thinking about law and studying law. Of course, my parents were kind of pushing me in that direction. Um, And University of Albany in New York had a really good political science program because it's in the it's in the capital of the state. Mm -hmm. So I figured, okay, I'm going to go. I like politics. I like history. I'm going to study poli sci. And then I'm going to go to law school. And that was like, I was pretty clear on that path. Like, that's what I was going to do. I got into the honors program. I worked my butt off, got into law school and went. So while I was there, I actually, I interned at a lawyer on Long Island in the summer. I I had a retail job at a jewelry store. So I continued to do that to get paid. But I actually called every lawyer in the phone book until somebody said they would hire me. So back in the day when we had phone books, um, I remember that's real hustle. I hustled because I was like, well, if I'm going to do this thing, like I need to like work and figure out if this is like a thing that I want to do. And so I found, you know, kind of a mom and pop uh, law firm actually right down the street from the jewelry store that I worked at. And I would go in a couple of days a week. I don't even think they were paying me, but I was just kind of learning and figuring it out. And I was like, okay, I can do this. If they can do it, I can do this. And so I just kind of went for it. I love that. And by the way, I just want to highlight something there because so many of our listeners are, um, you know, at that age, like graduating and deciding what they want to be. And I think that's such an interesting point is that you get this unpaid internship and you still continue to work in a jewelry store so that you get money, but that you could, you know, so you were hustling. I mean, you were working two jobs and you were young and that's, that's important to note. 
And that's, you know, a lot of times people ask us like, do I put that both on my resume? Like, how do I indicate that? And I think that that's something really impressive. And I'm sure at the beginning there, it was important for you to show that you were doing those things because that showed that you were, you know, really trying to hustle, but at the same time make money, which is totally fine. Um, okay. So then you did that. You Did you go to law school right after school? Did I you go- did. I just went straight. So it was 2002 when I graduated um, college. And so there was, we had like a kind of mini recession at that point. It wasn't like 2008 by any means, but it was like a little dip in the market. And so I was like, you know what? I could either look for a job or I can just go right to school and hope that the market kind of picks up. And that's what I did. I just went straight and lots of, I mean, we had students of all age at the law school, but my closest friends, many of them kind of did the same thing. Love it. And then, so then talk to us a little bit about how then you went from, you know, not to skip over your law years, but let's talk about how you became a lawyer and then what, how quickly you decided what you wanted to do instead. Cause I remember having this conversation when we first met, um, because I found it so fascinating, even then that there was like jobs out there, which I find your particular, you know, world so interesting where you could have made that pivot to, instead of practicing law, but training lawyers in a product that they were using. So I'd love to hear how you then went off to law, but then how you pivoted to what you're, you know, we started doing a little bit more product work. Yeah. So I was working at a law firm. It had, it was my second law firm after law school, which in two years, because I, although the people at the first law firm I worked at were lovely, um, I didn't love it. And I thought maybe it was the firm. Right. So I said, I, I like these people. I want to stay friends with them, but I need to like move on and find something that I love. When I was in law school, I had worked at the federal government and it was a great job and I loved it. Um, in their law department, it was the general services administration, but there was a hiring freeze when I graduated law school. And so they couldn't hire me. And so they kept, we kept in touch and they kept saying, when the hiring freeze opens up, we're going to hire you. You're our next hire. Great. I moved to an, another law firm, thought, okay, I'm going to love this law firm. It was definitely the, the work I was doing. I didn't love it anymore. It took me about mm-hmm. 10 months to figure out that I, you know, in your newsletter, you write about the Sunday scaries, right? I had the Sunday scaries and I was young, you know, I was 26 years old or 27 years old. And I, um, I felt sick on Sunday nights and it wasn't anything that the, anyone at the firm was doing. It was just, I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to do that. I had them too. I had those too when I was 24, 25 years old. Hence why I don't do what I was doing at that time anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And it was really hard, right? Um, You know, my, my parents didn't understand. I had passed the New York bar and the New Jersey bar actually on the first try. And so they were like, just so proud of that, that I'd studied and passed it. And they were so worried I wouldn't. And how could you take this big test and commit all these years to school and then walk away from it? But I had run into um, a friend of a friend um, who is now my friend, but at the time, a friend of a friend at a birthday party. And I knew she was a lawyer. She was a friend of mine from college's law school friend. She went to a different law school. And I said, you know, you're always so happy. Why are you so happy? Like, what are you doing? Tell me what you're doing. She's like, Mm. oh, I don't actually practice law anymore. I work for LexisNexis. And I was like, oh, we use LexisNexis, which is for those of your listeners who don't know, it's a a software, um, an online software that lawyers use to research cases and statutes. And I used it. Kinds. I used it a lot in PR too. We used to do yeah. a lot of research on LexisNexis. Yeah, and it's also been around a long time because I remember 
I mean, this is going to really like, there's nothing good about what I'm about to say, <laughs> but in like the microfiche era, which is when <laughs> I would, I would be digging in the stacks, like writing papers with my fingers and pens. I remember <laughs> we, we used LexisNexis as like a research um, platform. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's, it was, um, it was a, a cubicle that you could like a, its own kind of freestanding computer that you could do research on. Um, mm-hmm. It was it's books. It was publishing. It was kind of all kinds of things for, you know, a hundred years has been around a long time. Like parts of pieces of the business have been around a really long time. Um, and, you know, she was like, we're, we're actually hiring. You'd be great. You've got the personality for it. You should interview. And so I put in my resume, actually, at the same time, the federal government got back to me and said, we've got a job for you. Mm. And um, and LexisNexis offered me the job and I had to choose between the two of them. And I chose LexisNexis and it was a really, really hard. It's funny because I haven't even thought about that in such a long time, but it was a really hard decision. But I wanted to jump and I wanted to try something new. And I felt like I could bring something to that company that I couldn't mm-hmm. necessarily bring to the federal government. I love you know, that. I think your story, like, so your story, so you have to, I mean, traditionally we, we interview people that are professionally, not necessarily on our podcast, but in our regular lives, we are dealing or engaging with people that are in fashion or media careers most of the time. Um, so, you know, a story such as yours mimics that but it would be like you know you thought you wanted design but you happen to be very proficient in math and next thing you know you were a merchant or doing Mm -hmm. buying and you weren't a designer so for you to be kind of um bulldozing ahead and wanting to only be in law and like to be presented with a position where you are going to be working in the federal government. And at the same time, you're juxtaposed with an opportunity doing something completely different. I just need to call on that. That's what we call like a professional God universe moment, right? Where you, you have your first choose your own adventure chapter where who knows what Katie would have been like if she opted to go the traditional, traditional lawyer route and gone work for the federal government. But instead you honored your heart younger than you knew you were doing that by mm-hmm. channeling your carnival slash jewelry retail self and marrying it to the two and put yourself into the skills that you studied for, but used your soft skills. So mm-hmm. I think what happens in your twenties, which we can only talk about now because we're grownups is you're so focused on one set of skills that you don't necessarily incorporate all of your other skills into your job decision process. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of talk about soft skills now, but I think I wanted to interject there and, and highlight that you literally chose between your hard and soft skills. Yeah. For your, and you happen to be fortunate enough to have an offer in both, which is very rare, but you mm-hmm. literally chose between one versus the other. Um, and I think it's really interesting because you do find that professionally people feel more reward when they are using, this is not a fact, this is just based from, I'm not pulling this from anywhere, it's just based from 16 years of doing it. When you are using your soft skills more often, you feel much more professionally rewarded. I think that's mm-hmm. absolutely true. I love that. By the way, at that, this is a really good 
uh, spot to cut, um, Ming. We're going to cut our Facebook feed. For those of you that are interested to hear how Katie then went from being a carny to being a senior level player at Salesforce and living in the UK, you know, check us out on Apple podcast and um, we'll see you. We'll see you over there, but we're also on clubhouse still. So check us out there if you'd like. Jamie, you know how much I love to give somebody a gift that I'm passionate about, right? I just, oh my gosh, of course. I find something, we're tagging, we're sharing, we're, we're DMing each other. We have the megaphone. We have the megaphones. Yes. The minute I love something, it's like I want to give it to every single person I love because that's the way you and I work. That's the way I felt when I was gifted a Taja candle with a customized little saying that meant something specifically for me and it smelled good and it lasts forever and it's just gorgeous for the dream catchers everything for us both marissa myself and jamie is about leading with light so it makes perfect sense that our favorite gift to give is just that a a beautiful gift of light from our friends annabelle and taja collection in miami it's female founded they're handmade in miami in small batches everything on the candle is fully customizable. So you can customize the front, the lid, the underneath of the lid, the scent, and then the actual candles are reusable as vases. And I also find when you don't know what to get somebody, a candle is just always the best gift. And for me, the littlest things make me super, super happy. And if it's a gorgeous candle, I feel like I'm spoiled. I totally agree with you. And they're 100% soy wax and free of all junk. So you're not like inhaling grossness when you're burning them in your home. If you want to try Taja Collection for yourself, check them out. www.tajacollection.com. That's T-A-J-A. Use code DREAMCATCHERS10 for 10% off. I, I totally agree with, um, you know, all the things Immerse is saying. It's so important to remember that it, it like I I look back on these moments in my life even where I'm like I went to school for PR I thought that's, that's all I wanted to do was like PR 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 music PR and I am a podcaster career motivator recruiter like could not be more different but actually very similar if you dissect the skills that I was able to get at school and what I honed over the years and my bosses I worked for and another thing you said I wanted to just highlight quickly is we talk about this a lot with our candidates is that you you didn't love the work at that first job and and but you loved the people and you were like maybe it's just the firm like I really love the the people but I'm not into the work and so often we get people come into our office that are like I just know this is not for me and sometimes I'll say to people is it that you think the work's not for you or is it that you just don't like the, your boss. Cause there's a difference. Like, you know, we used to say, I, myself, you know, you don't leave a job, you leave, you leave a boss or you stay <laughs> for a boss. Right. And so to figure that out at such a young age and decide, okay, I realized pretty quickly that the work was not necessarily for me and you weren't necessarily maybe going to make that decision, but life, you know, the universe sent you this friend of a friend at a birthday party who, started chatting with you about her job and it was super positive and light and you were like inspired by her and you're like you know what okay and that is like today's iteration of listening to a podcast that inspires you or talking to someone who is doing something that you maybe never thought you'd want to do and exploring that and listening to your heart I mean we had a 
we had a guest, Melody, who was on our podcast talking about love. And she kept saying, you know, what's on your heart? You know, instead of like, what's on your mind? Thinking about what's on your heart is so important. And I think you did that at very a very young age, which is really hard to do. And you made this decision. You were faced Looks with Looks like choice. she knows how to do that. Yeah, she figured it out. Um, I love that. I, I literally love that. I, I think it's so important to share that that is not easy. But when the universe kind of gives you that shove. To be fair, don't you think it's a little bit easier for the generation coming up now, Katie? Uh, I would say yes and no, right? It, it, the generation coming up is is kind of dealt all kinds of hands, right? Constant change, trying to understand the market, trying to predict what's next and getting those skill sets. I think, you know, all of this praise has been amazing. But one other thing that really factored into my decision was I wasn't at a big law firm, so I didn't have golden handcuffs and I was making a little bit more than I would make at LexisNexis. I mean, a minuscule amount. And so the risk was not huge. Whereas if you get a big job out of school, then you kind of get stuck on that path because you get used to the money. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I mean, and that that, that 100% is is something that we, such. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. This is the conversation that entrepreneurs need to have, right? Because unfortunately or fortunately, pre- pandemic. And I'm sure she's been loyal for all these years. I'm sure she'll come back this way, but New York city, if you have a career in New York city, and really it shouldn't be limited to all cities. I mean, to just New York city, but it really is prevalent in New York city and London and Miami and some of the major, major towns. But there are three people in your negotiating room when you are getting a job in New York city and you're negotiating your brain, you, the hiring manager, and your bestie, New York, because when you're making your decision about getting a job in the tri-state, it is purely dictated by your rent and your ability to have personal freedom. And depending on what you do, you're either living at home, living with six people, don't have a doorman, live on a different side of town, live in a different borough, which by the way, is much more normal now than it was when we were young. I always lived in Brooklyn. I mean- Zero shot. I was living in Brooklyn. Sorry, Brooklyn. Um, I never lived so, in Manhattan. Always Brooklyn. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, Katie, you were just cold before cold was cold. <laughs> Duh. Um, but, you know, I think that is something that we don't talk about a lot out loud, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where if you have an opportunity to do something that you truly would love to explore and the money's not significantly different, it allows you the flexibility to lean into that opportunity. Yeah. If you are Absolutely. earning, you know, when you graduate school and you graduate law school, I mean, you're making bank in comparison to people that are wanting to work in a creative field and you can't compare yourself. It's like apples to oranges. However, mm-hmm. if you happen to work in a but smaller You're also firm, likely paying back a lot of student loans. Yes, <laughs> but you're golden. I love the words golden handcuffs, right? Because if you're not emotionally happy, you're now set up all the way up here where like you might've been able to take a studio where your friends that had more creative positions are living four or five deep in one, in one, in one apartment. So now if you make that change, you then have to either downgrade or figure out second forms of income, which is a very normal piece of the entrepreneurial growth conversation that when you're in your mid to late twenties is the, the, the struggle is real. 
Yeah. For you. It's a really, I mean, money drives so much of our decisions. Of decisions. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think I was really, again, it was at a time and, and a lot of my friends got these big jobs, right? So they were working at big firms. They were making lots of money. I was nervous going out to dinner, you know, checking my bank account and making sure I had enough to, to do all those things. Cause I wasn't at that kind of firm. So I couldn't go out for those kind of nights. I mean, I lived a pretty good life. I'm not going to pretend like I didn't, but you know, it was you very were like, I can't have more than one Starbucks a week because it's this many dollars a month. Yeah. Correct. I, mean, I remember the spreadsheet. Yeah, exactly. I remember that. But I was, yeah. you know, I was, I was notorious for going out with $20 in my pocket in New York city and being just like fine and getting home best. fine, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, there is, if you don't have to worry, if the money is not significant, it's much easier to take that jump. Whereas if I were at a big firm or I was making a lot of money somewhere else, or I was further along in my career, taking that risk is a Mm -hmm. lot harder. So tell us a little bit about, you were at, you know, I love a a resume like yours. And for those of you obviously that aren't looking at her resume, but I'm like, I'm on your LinkedIn and I have been for the last three days, just prepping for today. You know, here's somebody that spent, you know, almost seven years, years at that job and then another four somewhere else and now another four elsewhere. And it is, you know, tenure is so impressive to us. You know, there's not many industries where, you know, you can stay on jobs that long even anymore because of mergers and acquisitions and um, new opportunities. And, you know, we talk about this often with our with our candidates and our clients is that in order to get that promotion, in order to get that, you know, next role, you have to take a a leap. You have to interview and go elsewhere. So tell us a little bit about your path then. So you're at LexisNexis, you start working in this kind of new and different place and tell us, you know, give us a quick overview of how then you took this job at LexisNexis and how it got you to where you are now. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, it's funny because when I tell my story, it makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. but at the time it, it, it wasn't calculated anyway. Right. It doesn't make any sense when you're doing it ever. Yeah. Um, so I moved into a sales role at LexisNexis. I was like, I'm actually kind of like the role I support at Salesforce right now. I was the technical person who would come in and show the software to lawyers while the salesperson would give the hard sell. But because I was a lawyer and I spoke their language and I understood the problems they were having because I had them and mm-hmm. coming to Lexis, I was like, if I knew this stuff when I was at the law firm, maybe I would have stayed because this, this makes my life so much easier, but I didn't know how this worked. And so I was able to really translate that to my customers and show them the things that I wish I would have known. So I already kind of stood in their shoes. And so Mm -hmm. it made me good at my job. I did that for four years. By the way, not to interject, but Marissa and I always say that. I mean, when we started our firm or division of our dad's firm, we were both the people that we are trying to help on a regular basis. We both worked on the other side and now interview and discuss and connect with all the people that were searching and floundering and wanting to work in creative and fashion or in media or entertainment. And that's why we're better at our jobs because we were those people. And empathy is everything. And that's actually what I teach now at Salesforce. I do a lot of design thinking courses that I train people on and empathy is your number one thing, right? If you, if you can't stand in someone's shoes, then you can't understand them and you can't actually solve problems for them or sell them anything because you need to listen and you need to be there and you need to imagine what they're feeling. And so for me, it translated really well in this job and with empathy, it kind of took me to my next role, which was um, 
a customer research role. So basically I was working on an innovation role where I would show new products or wireframes of new products to our customers and I would get feedback. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I learned a lot about how to do user research, how to understand, how to come in with a beginner's mind, no bias. So everything I knew from the law firm, I actually had to throw out the window because I couldn't come in with my own bias as I was interviewing people and asking them about what they thought about the tool because I needed to take their real feedback and give it to products. Yeah. And, and so did you find that there was a lot of lawyers that made that switch? Like, were there a lot of attorneys that, that made a like choice to go over or is that like Um, a thing that you brought no, LexisNexis is notorious for hiring attorneys because they, they're they good at that job. Not everyone who did that initial sales job that I did were attorneys, but about one third of us were. And then when I moved to this customer research job, we were either attorneys or law librarians. So mm-hmm. um, everyone would, and the, you know, people who were law librarians were supporting that segment. So they were interviewing law librarians to understand how they were using. So whatever role you were, you were interviewing people who had had the same role in real life. I love um, that. And so that was really cool. By the way, we talk about, I talk about this a lot, but like, so I haven't said this in a while, but it's one of my favorites. So at J. Crew, Mickey Drexler, who was the CEO of J. Crew for many, many years, he used to make, he made this rule. And I thought it was so smart, which in order to work at J. Crew corporate, you had to work in the store. Because you will never understand how the product is made or why it's made the way that it is or why you're going to sell it that way unless you've worked at the store. And that concept is so much more popular now, but it was probably one of the first ever of that in my industry, at least. And what you're talking about is so interesting to me because the reason why you became really good at that job is because you did the role before, like you've worked as a lawyer, so you knew what you needed. And yeah. that's such a unique thing that you tripped into at a young age, which is like, and, a, you know, green in your career and how cool that you were able to bring that perspective. And that's a very smart move on LexisNexis's part, by the way, to hire lawyers. Okay. So you were there for six and a half years, which is amazing. And then tell us a little bit about the switch to, is it relics? Is that how yeah. you pronounce it? Yeah, it is formally they when I when I started working for them, they were called Reed Elsevier and they were actually and they did a rebrand, but they're LexisNexis's parent company. So I actually didn't even leave. I didn't ah, go very far. So um, I my in my research job, I, I saw the writing on the wall. It, it was we weren't reporting up to uh, product. We were reporting into marketing. So product wasn't necessarily listening to what we were telling them. The customers were saying there was a big disconnect. And um I was suffering in the job because I felt like my work wasn't super meaningful at that point. So um, I I found this role, this open role um, for a strategy position. Um, and I basically called in every favor. So at that point, I was running um, the Women's Connected group for LexisNexis. I was the president of our women's group in the New York office. I love this. This is like hashtag entrepreneurship, right? So here she is at this like big firm. How does she find her way? That's, I I'm, I didn't get a chance to ask that question yet, but that was going to be my next question of like, if you could speak a little bit to how you found your niche at each place, um, being that our theme today, although is what's your story, is about entrepreneurship. So here you are running what we call like an employee resource group, an ER employee resource group, ERG, um, which when I was at CNN, we had a million and they reported into my department and I loved them. And we just had a, 
a panel this week about inclusivity and courage at the workplace. And we had somebody on our panel, her name is Orly, and she was talking about how she runs all the ERGs at her firm and that there's so many new ones kind of coming up. Obviously, women in the workplace is you know, still important, but probably one of the first that started at a lot of these firms. And now there's like one for everyone, which is amazing because it helps you find, it's like your sorority at your school. It's like finds or a club. It helps you find like a smaller, more manageable group that you can make impact at your firm. So if you have those at your company, you should be joining them one, but two, if you don't, you should think about creating one because that's what we were talking about on last week's episode. So I love that. I love, that's a very good correlation because we were talking about that a little bit this week. So tell us about that and then how that brought you to Salesforce then. So you use some of your connections from that. Yeah. So the your- CFO of the company at the time was, she was just amazing, an amazing mentor. And she took me under her wing and like offered, offered to mentor me. She's the one who told me I was going to be president of this group because the, the last president was kind of moving on. And she, she basically like handpicked me and said, you're going to be the next president. Um, and it. it was, a, it was such an amazing experience. And I, I said, look, I want to go for this job. And I don't know because I I don't know if I'm senior enough or if I have this kind of experience. And she said, you do. And she had a great relationship with my boss's boss, who was going to be my second interview. Um, And so she called in a favor for her and was like, hey, you guys should hire Katie. But I interviewed, I I applied for the job. I got the interview. I interviewed with... um, with my boss at Relax, um, this guy named Jeff Honius, who became a really great mentor to me. I ended up working for him, I guess, four, was it four years, three and a half, four years. Um, mm-hmm. And with him, I was able to really kind of own my own piece of the business. So we were a small strategy group that supported all of our subsidiary businesses. And I owned an innovation toolkit. And so I really kind of built out the toolkit that already existed from my predecessor and things that Jeff had kind of handpicked for this toolkit. But then I picked up on things that I really enjoyed. So design thinking became a really big passion of mine and has kind of fed the rest of my career. And so I got I got the company to sponsor me to go for a course at Harvard Business School on it. I I read a lot. I learned a I lot. That. I just absorbed, I went to every training, every con- anything I could go to. And I built out a toolkit and I was able to enable all of our subsidiaries and I got to travel the world. So we had, I went to Australia, I went to New Zealand, I was in Europe like every other month, sometimes twice a month, depending this on- This is when I was, doing. by the way, just, just for the record, these are like, what is this like 2014, 15, 16, when I'm like, like basically sitting on my couch, miserable. And I'm like, look at Katie's life. Like she's somewhere really cool again. I remember following along on your travels and feeling like I would talk to I would write to her every once in a while. I'm like, where are you now? Like what's happening? She's like, it's for work. I'm like, where do you work? I work for my family. I'm like, this is so, you know, I have a question. I have a question for layman. I have a question for layman. So we're using some fun words like, Designer. No, I was about to ask her to just design thinking, yeah. design strategy, design yeah. thinking, and then you have this toolkit. So, so for Lehman, you have now used your background, your education, and your skill set, having been a lawyer, to almost project manage between your company and their clients. So you're interfacing between your clients' needs and then trying to create 
um, new ways customized for solutions for the client. Correct. Am I picking up what you're putting down? Yes. At LexisNexis before this job. Yes. Okay. And then you switch to this new team and you're inspired by what they do. And because you're now engaged in a different way, you discover something you didn't know about yourself that you're now interested in. And then you got an additional degree at, you know, this place, Harvard or whatever. And it was um, a certificate, not a degree, but <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. by the way, FYI, I don't have that certificate. In case you're wondering, I just went through all my files real quick. It's missing. Who I just talked about, Orly, also went to Harvard for something. I'm like, I'm sorry. All these Harvard people. Um, So so just explain to us, you know, I I think what's really interesting is here you are on this journey. It has a path left, a right, a diagonal, a sidestep, but yet you're still growing and you're you're encouraging yourself to grow and your colleagues are encouraging you to grow. Um, Tell us a little bit about what these words mean. So in case anyone that's interested in your industry and or is interested in working with law, but not really, or working with customers uh, or client customers or tech, but not really, could mm-hmm. pick up because you're doing something, by the way, that if you're in the encyclopedia, speaking of Lexis Nexus, looking up what kind of job can I do with my interests, no one is going to know how to look up your job. <laughs> Right. No, I mean, like, what what are you talking about? What do you do? Explain. So at this role and I actually I'm not too far off now what I do, but um, I was really in the corporate world, what we would call a center of excellence. Right. So we're a support center for everyone. So if you know kind of how to find us we will support you. We'll give you the tools that you need that, you know, the company has subscriptions for, or I can do a training on or get you the right resource that can maybe help you, or I can come and facilitate a meeting for you. Um, We are this kind of shared services, right? That Mm -hmm. all of our subsidiary businesses can do. And we, we rolled right up to um, the chief strategy officer who was, you know, one step away from the CEO, right? So that, or, or not even one step was there. The CEO is his boss. So, um, we, we sat in a very high part of the organization. So we had a lot of visibility and I made connections with both individual contributors, but, but also leaders throughout all of our businesses. And they would kind of call on me to come and help them think differently. And that came from not having an opinion on their business, like understanding their business, but not having a bias. So I could come in and I could facilitate a meeting without getting involved, right? Just pulling ideas out of them in a creative way, but not adding in my two cents. So is this um, now, I'm realizing this is, I'm guessing um, a little bit of a, tr- more, not, I wouldn't call it a trend, but it definitely is something that companies are going in this direction to have this like shared center of, shared services. Like when I left CNN and Turner Broadcasting, we had, you know, HR really was that center hub. But what started to happen is there were other teams. Marissa, I know, you know, so Dave just recently left Nickelodeon, but was at Viacom for nine years. And they would have these like, these like shared services. They had project managers, they had people that they could call on within the organization to help them do things better from an HR standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, from a project management standpoint. This reminds me of like what our, our friend Rachel, this is to you, Jamie, just so I'm clear, like Rachel Wachtel did for Brookfield. Like yes. it's an so internal, it like internal communications potentially or 
human resource, I think some companies, it might fall within HR. It's, um, you know, it's definitely more prominent in certain industries. But I do remember this was starting when I left the true media world of like these shared services strategy teams, people that could come in. It was an extension almost of learning and development, which is part of your training as, you know, a senior leader in your department. That also, though, at that time still went up through HR when I was in H when I was at CNN. But I think that there's since been a lot of, you know, of these kind of center of excellence kind of hubs, which is, by the way, if I had stayed in corporate, probably something that I would potentially have loved doing and like training people on how they become better at X. Like, I don't care what you're, you know, what you need, or I don't need to understand your business, but I can come in and help you like figure it out. Marissa, this is like what Carolyn, Carolyn Dub does as a consultant. She'll come in. I get it. So, so Katie, forgive me. And and you know what? I actually think that my authentic, innocent question is really helpful because I didn't work for a big organization. Corporate background. Yeah. No. So, but I could tell you working from a small organization and a family organization or a lean organization, um, I know that there would be, like, if we were to create a hub um, at our organization, it would 100% be something that Jamie and I would do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kind of needed to understand, like, you know, I always think, you know, my choose your own adventure is who would I be if I hadn't taken my path? And I probably would have 100% been in a similar role where I was Training, helping other people. education. Yep. Yes. And, and touching products, but also touching, um, really touching the humanity, um, so to speak, and, and really interacting that way. So I, I just wanted to explain, not only for myself, but for anyone listening, that there are a lot of roles and positions out there in corporate America um, that house places for you to use soft skills and you just need to figure out how to either get on the correct track um, and or uh, read job descriptions and titles to clue you in that this could be a good role for you. I would describe your role and I please forgive me for the word choice because I believe word choice is super important, but like a true middleman between all the pieces where, you know, I work as a middleman, but from inside, I'm inside external and internal. Um, and then mm-hmm. I'm actually external, internal, and then external again. So I'm a, I'm a trifecta. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's important to understand. So, um, and are you, and how long have you been now? Is that the role? Is that the kind of role that you're in now also? Ish. So I, well, she's just pivoted. She's just pivoted like 15 times since then. <laughs> yeah, but not even because she's been loyal the whole time. Like she has such a loyal resume, which I think is so yeah. fabulous to explore. Yeah, but like yeah, went so, to law school. Like everything about it is amazing. That's why when I was like, this girl is like, the, you don't understand. If I were to like define what we love talking to, who we love talking to on the Dreamcatchers, it is people like you who have a loyal, you know, all over the place, but corporate upbringing, which is like, you didn't quit your job and start the coffee shop, which by the way, I love the people that do. You kept finding better, cooler, more things for yourself to really tap into who you are as a carny. You're like, I gotta keep, I gotta keep, you know, and that is the definition of entrepreneurship to me. Like, it's like, 
where else can I go? Can I be the president of the women's organization? Can I also be moved to this office? Can you like move me to the UK? Can I travel to New Zealand? Like, right. you want- so, so like, let's get there. Let's let's, how did you get from Jeff's team to, I'm assuming that's where you are. Like your next step was where you are now. And then also, yes. how did you figure out that you could, I'm assuming you moved um, across the pond pre-pandemic. Just, I'm literally, it's my one year anniversary today here. Happy I, it was anniversary. Actually, I moved on leap day. Like I moved on the 29th. I landed on the 29th, yeah. which doesn't oh exist. God. So I'm kind oh, of in the I mean, well then happy anniversary. Thanks. Thanks. Perfect way to celebrate. Um, so I'll just give you kind of the quick and dirty of how I got over to Salesforce and how I ended up in this role, which was, I kind of, I'd done the role uh, at Relix for three plus years there wasn't a, a a natural upward mobility for me. And it was the best job I ever had to date. I I loved my team. I loved my boss. I loved the company. I loved doing it. If I wasn't so hungry, I would have been very happy ending my career there and just doing that forever. But I'm hungry and I'm young and I was, I, I want to do more. You're and insatiable it, like we are. <laughs> yeah. Like, but if, what else? you know, if, what else? Mm-hmm. If I were at a different point in my life, that was the best job ever. Like it was the best job ever. I loved it. I, you know, I still talk to my boss on a regular basis. Like we were great friends. He was a great mentor. I, I still connect with that you team. Keep, you keep all of your connections close. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and actually when I left um, and I gave my notice, he was so supportive and he was like, you, yes you need to go to this company and do great things. And, you know, when you have that minute of, wait, did I make the wrong decision? He's like, you need to stay for a year and then come back to me and then we can talk again, but you need to stay. So he was really just a great mentor for me, pushing me out of the nest really to do better things. And uh, I got to Salesforce as a consultant. So they hired me to go into our customers and do kind of the things that I was doing at Relics, so helping to kind of build up, um, they, they called it experimentation, which was really about teaching them to kind of take risks and, and come up with new ideas and go through a design thinking process, which just to give the explanation to that, it's it's really a five-stage process where you start at empathy. That's why that word is so meaningful to me, where you walk in your customer's shoes, you kind of determine like, what is the problem? that I'm trying to solve. Like maybe they told you they have a problem, but you need to do that research. You need to listen. You need to watch. You need to ask questions. Find out, are we solving the right problem? You need to clearly define what problem that is. That's the second step. Then you do ideation around. So brainstorming around that problem to come up with as many creative ideas as possible and then narrowing them down. And then you move into prototyping. You you get something down on paper. It doesn't have to be high fidelity. And then you test it and you get feedback. And I was actually doing a lot of that work at Relics and I was bringing it over to Salesforce. They do it all over Salesforce, but I was bringing it with like a customer angle. Like, how do we give this to our customers? Well, what they hired me for, they didn't actually sell. And so I ended up being staffed on a uh, project with a fantastic team doing change management, which was something I never wanted to do. I never wanted to learn about. But I realized, and it was a great experience, all my kicking and screaming. I'm sorry to my team. They're some of my favorite people at Salesforce. Um, 
they, they were like, we're not letting you go. You're staying on this project because you're the right fit and you're going to do change management and you're going to be fine about it. And I was, and actually change management is part of innovation, right? Getting people on board, getting people to think differently, getting people to be part of the change and embrace it and carry it forward and be your champions. And so I learned. By the way, look at These are like, like, that's pretty deep. But by the way, also it's the innovate the the negotiating skills and the ability to influence others' decisions is like so much of your legal skill and your legal background, but you never realize till how many years later from law yeah. school that could come into play in a role that you never even like heard of or thought about in law school. Like yeah. look at where she's using her like ability to influence others. It's crazy to me. I love that. And kicking and screaming, right? This was not a job I wanted to do. This is not, you know, and I was like, because I was, I understood the business of this customer that I was staffed on. I understood their business because they were a competitor of the company I'd come from. And it was like, no, no, you get it. So you need to stay and you need to do this thing that you don't want to do, but you're going to do it anyway. So I did that. Um, I stayed with that team for a little bit over a year. They were some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. And I realized I wanted to take back control of my career. And so I joined a short-lived but well-meaning incubation team internally. Uh, we didn't have the support that we needed to kind of launch. So that team turned into a research team where I was doing, I was back to kind of that second job I had at LexisNexis where I was interviewing customers about what they needed, what they wanted, how do we build um, not technical products, but service offerings. So how do we build our, our consulting engagements around real problems that customers have? Um, but I wasn't in love and I wasn't, I still hadn't found my place at Salesforce. And then I met my current boss. I was at this point, I was dating my husband. We were doing a long distance relationship. Side note, Salesforce is very altruistic and they operate on a one, one, one model, which is 1% of profits, 1% of product and 1% of people's time gets donated back to, you know, the community. And so I was able to go on a, what we call VTO volunteer time off trip to Africa, um, where I donated to go. Same. I paid for my plane ticket and they matched my donation. So I went to Africa. I did this great trip. I went on a safari with some of my Salesforce colleagues who I just met over there. I didn't know them before. Uh, they did not want to go to the Serengeti, which I thought was crazy because we were in Tanzania. They wanted to go to Zanzibar. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to, I, Jamie knows this about me. I travel a lot on my own. I go on all these tours by myself. I joined a tour with a company that I used many times before, met them in Kenya. My husband was on that trip and that's how I met him. So Salesforce changed my life in so many ways that like, I can't I even. cry, I love that story so much. <laughs> Wait, best story ever. So, like, speaking of the universe and things happening for a reason, it was like, you are so meant to take all these wiggly lefts and rights to get you to where you are right now, which is like exactly- that must have been a fun trip. I'm just yeah. saying. Africa. Um, <laughs> what happens in Africa stays in Africa? <laughs> or or you move to Yorkshire and that's what happens. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I love that story. Okay, so you have probably, I would say, we've done 45 episodes. I think you'd probably have the most robust, pivoted, fascinating path because so many of our guests are either 
entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that have been at the same place forever or just been in the same industry in the same kind of position forever. It's so interesting to me and so inspiring to me to hear your path because especially to our listeners, it's positive. positive and, and your, and your colleagues supported you and you were engaged in, in, in environments that allowed you growth and, you know, not for nothing. I, I think there's something to be said to those that are either pivoting right now or looking to see what kind of firms they want to work in um, for going forward and or are unsure what they want to do and are just, you know, thinking about graduating in a, in a really bizarre time. Uh, perhaps it's these major organizations. It's a Fortune, Fortune. I'm assuming Fortune 500, um, if not more. Uh, is there more? Is there more than a Fortune 500? Is there more than anyway? Um, can you tell? I'm in like the Fortune 10 billion. Um, so, no, but, but anyway, the point is, 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 is to look at your list and say to yourself, when you're doing like a Jamie trademark brand crush project. If you're not sure who you want to be when you grow up or what you want to be, there could be a lot of places, but you know who you are as a human, meaning you might want to be able to travel. You might want to be able to learn. You might want to work in an environment that supports both of those things. Then you want to yeah, work and I think what we're learning those um, pillars of morale, ethical, and culture. Because, you know, I mean, listen, I'm just not used to this conversation in general because my clients over the last 16 years are just focused on figuring out how to make a cost less so that we wear it more and there's more of a margin, right? So my my whole experience professionally has never necessarily, and this is unfortunate about dream jobs on paper, has never really been about an individual's personal wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that, and, and that is a, that's a solid choice. You take a job or you take a career based on where your heart lies. And if your heart lies on, you know, fashion, you may but not, I also kind you're of not going to necessarily learning. be exposed to all of those perks. But what I'm also kind of learning from Katie today, which I even had a corporate background, you know, but it was, it was a while ago now, to be honest, is when you're making your brand crush list is it, which is by the way, a class I trademarked and I'm doing on Thursday nights, shameless plug, um, is is making your list of like, where would you want to work may not be just the brand that you love. It might be, you know, this concept that Katie's talking about right now, which is like, they have this amazing, you know, initiative where you give back and you can travel. And I think that's incredible. Or maybe it's, they match, or you were saying earlier about going back for a certificate at Harvard and your company helped to sponsor you to do that. And these benefits of companies and what they offer has it is a, it's a big thing about being at a large company that's able to to give you those things, right? The the benefits, if you know anything about kind of Silicon Valley companies and mm-hmm. Salesforce is headquartered in San Francisco, um, they're competitive, right? So they all yeah. offer a lot of these quality of life things. Mm-hmm. You know, we get 52 hours a year. Is it 50? Yeah, 52 hours a year to volunteer. And we're encouraged to use it. And they celebrate you if you volunteer. And, you know, I haven't even gotten to my current job, but those three jobs that I kind of had leading up to my current job that weren't great fits for me, I stayed for the culture. I knew that I was going to find my thing. And I had lots of friends who started at Salesforce around the same time as me who have gone on to other things now because they just never found, 
So did you find your thing? Is this your thing? Are we in it? I found my thing. Yeah, I found my thing. So tell us a little bit about your thing. That's what we call an aha moment. So I, I met my current boss while I was living in New York. I was doing a lot of networking and I was introduced to him through someone I was introduced to from someone in the New York office who knew that I wanted to move to London. And so that everyone was trying to help me out. And when you just relationships someone, are important, that's very really important. important. Um, we, we just clicked. Like he got what I was. So all the things I wanted to do in my past jobs at Salesforce that like the reason that they hired me, but they never really fit me in. Figure it out. Yeah. He wanted all those things. Mm. And he was like, yes, this is where you fit on the team. This is how I see the org structure. This is what I see it looking like. Um, Things happened in the, uh, we go, we go through kind of a reshuffle every year to we're, we're growing exponentially. And so it's actually at every company I've worked for, when you hear like reshuffle or reorg, it's very scary at Salesforce. Yeah. It's just the writing the it's ship. It's a good thing. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and so when he got his team, it was like, everything was kind of pushed off, right? Like they're like, oh, well, you're going to get more headcount maybe at this point, at this point. And they kept pushing it out and pushing it out and pushing it out. And finally, um, I had some family things happen. So it was actually fine that I was still in New York. Um, I eloped in New York cause we're like, okay, well, if we can't, if I can't move for a job, we're engaged, let's just get married and then we'll figure it out. Um, and then a job came up, which actually was supposed to be a shuffle from internally from his, from his bigger team, and, but they had to post the job internally. And I said, well, yeah. I'm applying. You cannot hire me if you don't want to, but let, or if you can't, but I'm going to apply and I'm going to knock their socks off because it was going to go up to his boss. And his boss was in Australia. I got up at five o'clock in the morning. Well, I got up at 4.30 in the morning so I could like put on some makeup and look okay to interview on a time zone that worked for everybody. And um, I I impressed them, right? The, the person that they wanted to hire just didn't do the work that I had done. Um, I don't know what their presentations looked like, but I, you know, I just really, I went for it. And I knew that it was a long shot because they weren't looking to open up a headcount. They were looking to just, even though I'm in the company already, I'm on a different part Mm. of the business. So it's like complicated. Um, And so I got the job and they got the approval to move me over. And um, I mean, it all worked for it. Like you really, you worked your ass for it. I love this story so, so much. It was a year though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but, but still, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is like, this is it. Like, this is the stuff that makes it exciting to figure out what you want to do and continue to stay in contact with your relationships and, and, and fight for yourself and advocate and connect and network. And this is literally what we preach all day, every day. In fact, our favorite mantra, which actually is going to be my next question is say yes. And that, and my other is you never know unless you go or network most when you need it the least. These are all of our favorite mantras that Katie has lived for her career of like, just go, just say yes, just say, you know, figure it out. You find your, you know, you'll find your way. And really, besides some really great teams and some good jobs and some easy mentors and some fun bosses, like it took her you know, 20 years to find her, her, her dream job. And, you know, here we are, and she's finally doing something and living this Looks life. like you made it. Sorry. <laughs> like, like it was up to your chair. Whatever. So, so how's it been? How's it been this year? 
I mean, here's a um, girl, a New Yorker, right? You're obviously not, you're not somebody that gets thrown off by adversity. This we know because of your, your personality, your ability to travel alone. I'm sure even with that, even with being thick skinned, being far from home and now starting a new life, um, you were, you were going, were you going to be telecommuting um, even pre COVID? Yes. So the nice thing about my team is I manage, uh, well, now I've got two people in France. I have one person, well, two people in the London area. So, and my boss lives, if you know England at all, in a place called Cornwall, which is beautiful, but fairly hard to get to. So um, we're all kind of all over the place. Um, And so for us to be working in an office, we would have to, some, someone would have to travel right? Someone would have to get there. So um, when I was moving over, it, it all really worked out and I wouldn't have moved, I think, completely for love. Like clearly I want to be in the same country as my husband, but um, I, if I didn't have a job that I felt was going to be fulfilling, I don't know that I could have done this. And I don't know that I could have been stuck inside for a year um, with a job that I wasn't happy with. So I, I manage a rock star team. I mean, they all have such different skills than I do. And so I learn from them every single day. And hopefully I'm bringing them. They were going to have to listen to this, right? (laughs) I I will. I will send it to all of them because they're all, they're all here. Um, Yeah, they, I mean, I, so I actually manage uh, a creative strategist, a designer and a project manager. And now I've got um, a UX UI designer on my team. These are skills I don't have. Even, I mean, I'm a a project manager in my life, but I'm not good at it. You know, I think um, all of those skills are skills that I don't do necessarily well. And so they make me better. And I think of the whole picture. I think of the strategy, I think, you know, and so, and, and my boss is a very strategic thinker. So I'm constantly learning from him and our team has grown in a really great direction this year. And so I'm really excited and, you know, just being able to grow with it. This so is you're a long designing new product now for Salesforce. You're like managing a design team. Yes. So what we do is we create tools um, for our sales team. So these are some of them end up going to customers, but most of them are things that are their productivity tools that help our our people at Salesforce, as opposed to helping our customers. So my customer is the sales team. So crazy. It's like, an, it's so I could, we could use a dose of you, Katie. Yeah, I'll take a little <laughs> bit of you. It's like, it is, you know, listen, to put it in a layman's like old school way, it is, you know, HR used to be this overarching tool, like term for just any support infrastructure of a company. And that's kind of how I was trained and, and brought up. But I do think that what you're doing and the path that you've taken is so interesting is that if you ever were interested, you know, when you go to school nowadays, it's like, do you want to be forward facing or behind the camera, but in front of the camera, like, you know, to put it in that terminology. And I think what you've been able to do is really, you know, just become this very successful operational strategist, which is not necessarily what you went to school for. It's not what you went interned doing, but so much of your skill has brought you to where you are. And obviously love and life has brought you to where you are. Um, But I just find your story so inspirational and literally could talk to you all day. But in the interest of time, 
I want to fire off a couple of our favorite dream catchers questions um, because your story is so inspiring. So one, I just want to ask, um, you know, when we send the questions, we have so many and we could talk through every single one, but my favorites are, as I said earlier, we, we really like live by our mantras. I think that Marissa and I are the type of people where we wake up every day and we say something to ourselves or to others that helps us kind of get through to continue to move forward. Do you have a mantra at all and or anything that you've said to yourself over the years that has, you know, I know, I know you used the word hungry before and I love that um, or insatiable. So do you have any mantra or action word or something that you say to yourself or to others about your career path or theirs? Um, I would say, I don't think I never like thought of it as a mantra, but I would say be flexible, right? Um, being a lawyer, I had a very linear career path set out for me. That is a good one, right? If you love the law, being a lawyer, making it to partner or doing something in the public sector is a very admirable, 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 I can't even speak today, career path, right? But Mm -hmm. for me, if I hadn't taken those lateral movements, some people feel like you've got to just climb up and it's not about climbing up. It's about being flexible and seeing that lateral motion as as something that's going to help you grow and is a promotion in its own sense, right? You may not get more money, you may get less money, um, but you're building another skill promotion. set that's going to get I, I you love, somewhere else. I love that. I mean, one of my favorite interviews is with our dear friend, Sarah Personette. She's worked at Twitter and marketing and she, and client service. And she once said, your career should be a jungle gym. You know, you should be left, right, up, down. There should never feel this need to keep going up this ladder. And that's such an important thing for us to talk about on an entrepreneurship themed conversation, because if you are going to be successful internally somewhere, it is often the truth that you'll need to take lateral moves, jumps to the right and left, zigzags, um, pay cuts. And that's how you end up getting to this dream job, which is a really sometimes hard thing to find if you don't, you know, and there are some, listen, there are some jobs where it's very linear. Like Katie was saying, when I was in PR, it was very like AAE, JAE, AE, SAE, SVP. And it was, that was it. That's just what you did. You just kept going up and up and up until you were the senior level person on the team. If you wanted to be that person. And like Katie, she had this hunger to grow and, and learn. And that was not always this way. And that's really important. I'm using my hand, but our listeners can't see my hand. Um, you know, I'm the rungs of a ladder obviously go up and down, but a career path does not need to do that. And I think that's really good, really good advice. Be flexible. Um, do you consider yourself to have a superpower, something that you bring to the table, to friendships, to relationships, to professional relationships that you think kind of makes you stand out? So it's so funny. I loved this question. And then the friend group question that I ended up sending it out to a bunch of my friends and and being like, help me, which by the way, if you haven't done that, everyone should send a text to their friend group and say, you know, who am I in this group and what is my superpower? Because it just brought me so much joy today. Um, I love that. I think, and so I, I've gone back and forth of what my superpower is, but I, uh, I think Jamie, you, you highlighted it earlier. I'm a, I, I like connections, right. And I'm good at making them. And I've, I've traveled a lot. I've, I was single a long time. So I was able to kind of get up and go. 
And um, I visit friends all over the world whenever we could travel. Um, and I'm really good at maintaining relationships. And I think my connections and being able to, to be empathetic and a listener and to connect with people on a level where they feel seen and heard mm-hmm. is a superpower that I think I have. And then also on that note, I like making connections for people. So mm-hmm. I have a you know deep network. And so when somebody says something, I think, oh, well, well, this person is is good and you should talk to them. And I send emails yes. a bit like yep. a bit like Bridget Jones, you know, in the movie when she's like, um, this is this person and they like horse riding. Like I, that's what my emails look like. Like this person is all of this stuff and look at their LinkedIn resume. And mm-hmm. I would like to introduce this person. And so everyone's got like a whole blurb about themselves in the email so they can see how I feel about them, but also get to know the other person. I love that. And that's such a, you're right. It's such a, it, in my opinion, it's a superpower. Um, it's something Marissa and I really pride ourselves on is being connectors. It's something that we, it's in our bio. It's who we are. It's why we do our podcast. It's why we created the Dreamcatchers web because we had so much of this up here. We were like, Katie should meet Lindsay, who should meet Marissa, who should know Ming and you guys should work together. And we were just cut. It was like exhausting. We were like, like we couldn't get people to get together enough. <laughs> it was like brutal to be us. And now we can actually feel like we have this way for people to connect through our podcast and through our networking community so that they feel like they can just have a place where other people that are kind of vetted by Marissa and Jamie, um, you know, not to say that's some sort of crazy stamp of approval, but in our world it is for us and that all these people can connect to each other. And it doesn't have to be that you all work at the same company and it doesn't have to be that you all work in the same industry, but rather you're just all like-minded in general and which is a very hard thing to find. And I think that that's such an important skill. Um, Marissa, did you have any other questions for Katie? If not, I want to ask her the travel question because that's my favorite question for somebody like her because she's been so many amazing places. Um, I don't. I think that you are a remarkable example of hard work and dedication. Um, you also are a tribute to taking calculated risk and chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've highlighted twice the words choose your own adventure. But I'm currently reading the book series, that book series to my third grade daughter. And I think that you are proof to perhaps you are not the first female president. However, we are a lot closer to that than we used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you are, you speak volumes to using your voice, knowing your gut, going after what you want learning what you don't know and rising in your professional um, in your professional journey. And I, I really am honored and, and privileged for you to have taken the time to share it with us. And I, I really do truly hope that you share it with others because I think in your world, um, and I know what our, our world will respond to it with, but in your world, your twists and your turns, your choices, your uh, ability to notice what works for you and what doesn't work for you and what was fulfilling for your bucket and that what what you wanted to do something else within your own organization, I think would be legendary for younger um, staff to know that they have choice to intuitively 
be impact like to, to a lot of people don't have my point is a lot of people don't have the intuition that you did to to navigate your roadmap. And mm-hmm. I, I hope that you are able to turn the story internally so that junior staff can learn from your perseverance and your constant quest to to diversify and gain. Um, and I find that really, really, really impressive. And sometimes I wonder who I would have been if I had chosen differently. Granted, I'm doing what I'm doing now because I'm making impact that way. And I know that this is my most important job-ish, right? So um, thank you for sharing your journey so that you're making my journey that much more rewarding. So thank Thank you, Marissa. And I should, by the way, and, and before I ask you our favorite final question, can you then speak to that just briefly, any advice you have for the, you know, as I said earlier, the every woman, the every man, the the internal um, employee somewhere that doesn't necessarily, not in a bad way, have that itch, drive, thirst to be an entrepreneur, but just wants to continue to grow at a company, wants to find their way. Or find of, their joy, find their joy in their day to day. So it doesn't feel like a big grind. Yeah. Anything that you've done over your career. I know we were talking about earlier, the employee resource groups, anything that you could share as kind of advice to someone out there that's trying to make it the way you did. Yeah, it's I mean, it's especially hard right now because, you know, I hired someone in May who has been completely remote the whole time, you know, and he's young and early in his career. And that's really tough. Right. And it's really yeah. tough to get involved with groups and, and he's definitely giving it a good go. And he joins all the networking things that he can possibly do to meet new people, which is amazing. Um, I think we call them equality groups at Salesforce and we have tons of them. And I think those groups are really important because it just makes, we're 50, 50,000 plus employees. When I started, we were 20,000 plus. So we wow. are just growing and growing and growing. 30,000 people have been hired by Salesforce in four years? Or acquired, hired or acquired. Oh, got it, or merged. Yeah. Okay. So we are, we are doing, and we're going to keep growing, right? Mm-hmm. Exponentially. We are just growing at such a speed that it is really easy to get lost here. And if you don't, I like to say, get in where you fit in, right? Like if you don't find your people and- Team and management is really important. It is to me. I mean, you know, you I think like it is you said before, everybody. Yeah. You don't, you don't leave a company because of the company you leave because of your boss. And if you're not, and I've had great bosses and I've had not so great bosses. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have, yep. You, I have a not so great boss now. <laughs> But you've got to find if, if your boss isn't working for you, you've got to make that decision of, do I stay at this company because there's a lot of opportunity here and just stick this out until I can make a move that feels right? Um, or do I leave because I just really can't handle this and I'm unhappy? Uh, and I don't think either one is wrong, right? I think you need to go with your gut and figure out what works for you and figure out what's going to make you happy. But finding those equality groups, finding those activities, again, Salesforce does a lot of volunteering. So in real world, you'd be able to go to the, you know, the soup kitchen and cook together, or you'd be able to go. And those relationships are, I mean, the people I met in Africa, like, you know, I still, I text a lot of them, you know, quite often I follow one on Peloton, you know, like we've got like all these people that Ways are to connect. 
part of my community now. And I never, we don't really cross paths and work. So, um, cause it's such a big company, but it's amazing how people you meet along the way become part of your connections. And I think it's finding those people and going back to my superpower. I, I had a friend tell me this once, which I loved. I'm a collector. I collect mm-hmm. people. And so finding those people and collecting them and keeping them close and making sure that you put in regular, even if it's monthly or even quarterly, those quarterly check-ins to remember, I worked with this person maybe two years ago, but they're great. And I want to make sure that I, I keep talking to them. So just collect those people and keep them close. I love that advice. Oh, Katie, I love you. Okay. So our favorite last question, we always say, we always have a fun last question, which I mean, I could have asked you a hundred more things, but I think we covered so much and we're going over, you know, I always say like, you know, shake the sillies out. We don't need to talk about your career anymore. We just like to ask one question that just kind of shows who you are as a human, not just as a professional. And usually it's about your brand crush, which by the way, you're happy. I'm happy to have you share if there's a company that you just think is like doing amazing things right now, or like a brand or something you love, that's usually my fun question. But for somebody like Katie, who has traveled literally the world, mostly alone, I'd love to ask this question, which is if you have the opportunity, I mean, right now, all of our answer is like, well, now she's in England, but like my answer is like, when people are like, where do you want to go? I'm like target alone. Like, I don't care where I am. Like there is no goal of like, but if you could travel anywhere in the world, one alone, which for Katie is normal, two with your partner and three with a girlfriend or a group of friends, where would you go? So the alone one is actually really hard because I'm such an extrovert. Uh, and yes, I travel a lot alone, but then I, I join groups, right? right? So like I meet people, so I'm not really alone. Um, you can I, join a group. I, I can join a group. You can join a group. I can, well, like, I can where, join a group. Where would you go by yourself and then join a group? <laughs> I probably want to go to some of the countries I didn't cover off in like Southeast Asia. Like I'd like to go back and my husband's been to them. So I feel like I can do them without him and and he won't feel like he's missed out Um, because total FOMO. I think it it, with my partner where I'd like to go is um, Japan. So we were supposed to have, we got married in New York in 2019, but we're supposed to have a big wedding in England. We wanted all our friends and family to come. And actually it was, it's in a beautiful like 16th century barn um, on the Yorkshire countryside overlooking an abbey, like of the ruins of it. I mean, it's so beautiful. So we were hoping that everyone was going to come and have this big party at this really picturesque place. Didn't happen. 2022, we, we pushed out two years right away. We did not go for like, I got that save the date. And I was like, is the date correct? I'm like, it's like, this is like two years in the future. <laughs> like when I got it. And now you're like, like well, make sure. I'm like, now I'm like, oh, I get it now. But like at the time I remember thinking that's like, that's like a really far ahead planning. And now I'm like, oh, I, I see why. Yeah, we crushed it. We actually crushed, crushed pushing it out. But um, Japan is someplace we both, so we're both big travelers. So Japan is someplace we both haven't been. So we were really looking forward to like, just going to Japan and doing it like, like splashing, splashing out and doing it right. So um, I would love to go there. And then um, with my girlfriends anywhere, we were supposed to have a big 40th trip to the Bahamas in April, which by the way, when the pandemic hit, I was like, it'll be over by then. I'm still going to go. Even mm-hmm. when my friends were like dropping out, I'm like, no, no, I don't have kids. I'm going to go. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the fact that I thought that was happening, 
is nuts, but really anywhere. <laughs> I, I would just love a girl's trip so much. I don't care where it is. It could be down the street at an Airbnb. I don't care. I just want to be with my girlfriends. I think this pandemic is really hard on extroverts. I mean, it's hard on everyone. I said that, literally I sent it that said just this morning, Katie, speaking of being in tune in the universe, I, I literally sent a text this morning because a bunch of my friends here, my sister as the leader, um, surprised me on Friday night for an early 40th. And it was like the night of my life. I did nothing. I was in my backyard, but it was just all my favorite people and like a drink truck and like just life was amazing. And I wrote like a very intense text this morning, just like thanking everyone again, because I'm still on the high. It was two days ago of like, it's so hard to be an extrovert during this. Like it's next level. It's like literally I realize it's next level for everyone, but to, to be a defined extrovert, like to feed off other people's energy, that is what an extrovert is. And to not really have been around other humans in any way for almost a full year is, is bananas for me. Yeah. in the backyard, even if it was like my kids were inside, like they were waving. I didn't even care. I was like, it was just the best. So I hear that. I hear that, Katie. And wherever you decide to plan your birthday or your 40th, I'm just going to crash and come to. I mean, at this point, it's going to be like 43, but still, you know, <laughs> I love that. I I am not an extrovert. This does not shock anybody. Um, however, I would like to go on the trip. Yeah. I mean, everyone, let's just go. Let's I, go. I am very good at picking up a conversation with like the wait, the waiter or the bartender. Like I'll know everything about them. Like that's not a problem. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm a extroverted introvert. So it's been okay, but I could really use a dirty martini at a bar. Yeah. Like, with my arms up on the bar and like no Purell, you know, like, I just yeah, want to and- skip a whole Purell layer. We've been on a serious lockdown here um, since we've been on multiple, but this is the third one. And so we've been in it since January and like nothing is open besides grocery stores. Uh, and I went to Costco, which by the way, they have here. So that's amazing. And um, that was like the highlight of my weekend. It was like very exciting that I could like. It sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I send you virtual connectivity. I think you're doing a tremendous job. Um, I would love to see, because I'm curious pictures of like where you live and like what your, what the culture is like where you are. And maybe I'll just have to stalk your social. Um, Yeah. Thank you for spending time with us. Lots of lamb pictures constantly. I, I, I'm just, Like a girl from Long Island. I I mean, mean, to be fair, she's from a cool town in Long Island. She's like, like she grew up kind of the way we're raising our kids, like water and a different kind of Long Island, but still in New York. Still in New York. Yeah. Port Washington? Yeah. Northport. Oh, Northport. But like yeah. water and just, a, I remember when we first met, I'm like, tell me more about this elusive, amazing waterfront living. And that's like, fast forward, that's how we're raising Katie, our kids. There were boys, <laughs> you know what? I'll ask you after we get off. We'll just get <laughs> off. Okay. So would you like to ask, anyway, thank you, Katie, for being here. Main can cut the, the sound in a minute. I just wanted to thank Katie for her time. By the way, my computer makes weird noises and I don't know how to shut them off. So it happens every time we're on a podcast. Um, I think it's my reminders. So thank you to Ming at A Shared Universe. Thank you to our um, sponsors at Taja Collection, which is an amazing, amazing candle company um, in Miami. 
and which we talked about earlier. And then what else can I say? And thank you to Katie for her time and Marissa for her time and all of our listeners on Clubhouse. There was a decent amount of people that kept popping in, which was super fun. Um, And we'll do this again. Every day that we leave with light as the Dreamcatchers is made possible by our parent company, Partners in Crime, Choice Fashion and Media, Division of Choice Associates, where we've been putting people to work since 1974. So if you're looking for work or you're looking for people to work for you, check Mm -hmm. us out, www.choicepersonnelinc.com.